Sir Balper, the Timothy Brown, some Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio, my guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, making his weekly Monday appearance. This is weekly Monday appearance. This is the managing editor of Fangraphs.com, Dave Cameron, and what follows as he does every week. Dave Cameron analyzes all baseball. It is not uncommon for this or that sports writer to write an article on the metric known as wins above replacement and title it, or to have his editor title it, War, What is it Good For? That is a reference to a soul song from the Vietnam War era. And the literal answer, the literal answer to that question is that war presents a, a useful means by which to assess the value in wins of all major league players relative to freely available talent. That's just a basic answer. Now, one can argue, many do argue, about the manner in which uh, wins above replacement ought to be calculated. Yahoo's Jeff Passan is one of those people. He, along with Dave Cameron, will appear on the podcast on Wednesday. Uh, for the moment, however, in what follows, Dave Cameron and I discuss broadly some of the points uh, made by Passan, Cameron's responses to them, improvements that might be made to the metric. Also, anyone uh, listening to this edition of the podcast will be treated to the context for this moment of personal insight care of Dave Cameron. I don't think I'm ever the best person to talk to. It's Fangraphs Audio. It features managing editor Dave Cameron, and it begins right now. Combining, you you own a sloth. That's yeah. pretty cool. <clears throat> My pet sloth. Once I got that first pet, now I'm just <laughs> experimenting with other species. Speaking of pets, I will note as a warning to listeners that the dog might be more active than usual because uh, I have not been home much for like the last week and a half, and she's very excited to have me here and, yeah. and wants to play all the time. Well, it's good. Someone's excited to have you, Cameron. Yeah, it's really why we have a dog because yeah. clearly no one else is ever excited to have me around. You are uh, you were gone uh, for I'd say the better part of a week. Yeah, I mean it was uh, it was actually two trips. Uh, I went to Seattle on vacation with the wife and hung out with the family, and then got back. And uh, two days after flying across country, I drove to Washington D.C. for the weekend. So hey, that's uh, where David Appleman lives. That is where David Appleman lives. I I saw him multiple times. Oh yeah, okay, I know that yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah. David Appleman, of course, is the one who uh, runs. He's a CEO. Uh, yeah, owner, founder, founder CEO, founders, boss. Yeah. He's a good uh, person to have on your side. He is a good person to have on your side. Yeah. Well, smart move on your part. I hope, uh, <clears throat> you know, I hope you left on good terms. Uh, yeah, I was not fired upon my dis- my my exit of the state. Yeah, good. Or the uh, the what the republic, right? Or dis- district? District, right? Yeah, unincorporated. They have uh, they have it. It might have us wait. It maybe did not surprise me as much as it should, but every time I see it now, I am a little bit surprised because they they have a, a might be one of the rare instances of a protest oriented license plate. Uh, uh, Washington, Washington D.C. It says taxation taxation without representation. Okay. Do you this believe is, me? You mean you were it, in D.C.? Yeah, you know how many D.C. license plates I saw? Uh, probably a thousand. Zero. Zero. Why? Why? I took the subway. You were not outside ever? <laughs> I was outside, but uh, I was not staring at license plates. All right, yeah. Uh, yeah, they say taxation without representation, which I believe, if I'm not mistaken, is a, is a protest being conducted by the district. 
because they don't have any, of course, they don't have any federal representation, really, or not as Right. Yeah. Well, maybe we should all move to D.C. and not get taxed. Oh, is that? Well, they do have taxes, though. Yeah, right. But, you know, we could we could form a militia that that is uh, upset with our yeah. with our lack of representation. Yeah. Well, I don't know if that plan is going to work. But uh, okay, so you saw you did all that, and then Seattle. Did you get to? Did you go to any Seattle Mariners games while you were there? I did not. Uh, I I basically had a family vacation, so okay. it was very little baseball or no baseball, and uh, and mostly just focusing on hanging out with the with the parents and my brother. So you're not so like right now, you're not like the best guy to talk to in terms of what's happened in baseball over the the past week plus. Are you you're um, decent, maybe? No. I don't think I'm ever the best person to talk to about that, but maybe particularly worse now. Yeah, okay. But uh, we do have uh, – I mean, there is a, a big thing that's going on, and I guess it's happening again. I guess what, – well, so one thing that's interesting about this most recent – I would say we call it a conversation or uh, it, this debate regarding wins above replacement. Kerfuffle? Can we yeah. call it a kerfuffle? At least it's, it has a more reasonable tone than they have in the past. I, I think that is the hope, yes. Yeah, uh, because uh, Jeff... Uh, Passan. Passan. Not, don't say Passan, or say we, Passan. He, will, he will punch you in the face. Yeah, Jeff, Jeff Passan of Yahoo.com, who, as you note, uh, has, uh, has done uh, quite a bit of good in terms of um, both utilizing and educating the public with regard to, um, you know, advanced metrics in baseball. Um, still has uh, some... Some questions regarding wins above replacement that he Correct. and he presents those in the form of an article, which I think appeared today. Yeah, this morning. Uh, yeah, he published it at like midnight last night, which was, okay. you know, I got home from a six-hour car ride, and then like ten minutes later, it was like, oh, I guess I'm being thrust into a baseball conversation. I would right. like to go to bed instead. Well, you've been so you've been having it. You've been having that conversation with him. Uh, in different formats, I think, and you'll and, and I should have announced right now that you'll be having a real conversation with him on Wednesday. We're going to record a podcast with Jeff Passan. Right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I think the 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 Twitter mod- medium is not a good one for this this discussion. So we're going to do it over Skype. Right. We're going to do it over Skype. And um, so uh, I don't know what's what's going. If you were to characterize, is it a number of arguments Jeff has? Uh, is there is there sort of one overarching argument you could say if you were going to summarize the his uh, biggest uh, qualm with, um, with with the metric, and then in addition what he think what he views as the strengths of the metric I guess right I mean this might be a good question for him on Wednesday because I don't want to put too many words in his mouth well well ask I think the question to him, yeah right I I think uh, my interpretation of his his statements is that he does not believe in the uh, current iteration of defensive range. So it's not that he doesn't believe in defense. He does not believe that defense can be as valuable as suggested. Uh, so maybe he thinks that a really great fielder, Andrelton Simmons or Juan Lagares or, you know, Franklin Gutierrez in his prime, maybe that guy's worth 10 runs instead of 30 in mm-hmm. his mind. Like he thinks the, the established range of fielding values is simply too high and should be diminished in the war calculation. Yeah, and uh, and of course there it, there is we do run into some difficulty with measuring defense, right? We know that. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, he's not he's not wrong in his uh, pointing out that the defensive metrics have uncertainty around them. Right, 
And I, and if I'm not, if I think if I'm one to, if I'm able to summarize your position on it, and I'd ask you to elaborate on it. Your position, though, is that <clears throat> I know I recognize that war is not perfect, but we can use it to essentially create groups of players, create tiers, essentially. Yeah, I think war is an imprecise estimate uh, that has flaws, but is the flaws are uh, constrained to you know reasonable groups. So you know it is almost impossible to make any kind of argument that a two-win player had a better season than a six-win player. The margin of error on war is not that large. You can't you can't really put a reasonable argument together that the model is so wrong that a two-win guy had a better year than a six-win guy. So we can lump you know like zero to three-win guys in certain tiers, below average, average, above average, whatever. We can lump, you know, four to six-win guys into a, you know, star, and then we can lump, like, six to eight-win guys into superstar, and we can have these kind of understanding of tiers, and then within those tiers we need other tools to help us, uh, you know, split hairs. Right. You know, actually, I hadn't realized um, – this is sub- something that happens, you know, I've certainly, certainly become the case that when I'm attempting to understand how good a player is or how good he's been, this uh, – in the the given season, you know, I look at the Fangraphs leaderboards. I don't think this is that shocking because it's the site for which I write. Uh, I did not realize, though, uh, and it's something that I would have realized maybe five to seven years ago, how good Victor Martinez has been offensively this season um, because I've probably, you know, I've looked at the war leaderboards and, you know, I don't think he's in the top ten by that measure. Um, but he's having a fantastic season, and I and I only know this because I was watching the Tigers game and the broadcast the other day, you know, noting how um, by certain metrics, uh, home runs, RBIs, batting average, his uh, season actually approximated Miguel Cabrera's uh, triple crown season at that same point through uh, you know th- through the year. So basically, what you're saying is you got your nose out of a spreadsheet and watched a game. Yeah, I watched the game. Yeah, uh, and you learned something. Well, he's been good. Right. Yeah, no, Victor Martinez has had a very good season yeah. and uh, has basically made up for the fact that Miguel Cabrera has not been Miguel Cabrera. Right. But it's also the case that Victor Martinez, um, in, despite that good season, does not show up on the, the first page of uh, War Leaders. Correct. And I think this is one of the other issues that people kind of have with the model of wins above replacement. And they've had this, you know, not just with Victor Martinez, but, you know, David Ortiz throughout his entire career. And some of these, like, bat-only players who are, you know, uh, good hitters, uh, and sometimes great hitters. David Ortiz, you know, has at times been a great hitter. Uh, Victor Martinez is having a great season. Um, but they, you know, they offer no defensive contribution. So they get a significant penalty in wins above replacement for not playing the field. Uh, they're considered to be the worst defenders on the team, which is, I think, true, because if they were better defenders than anyone else, they wouldn't be DHing. Um, so, you know, the positional adjustment in war has always been a little bit of a lightning rod. Uh, when it comes to these bad-only players, and I think uh, it's also a source of consternation among those who are used to evaluating players simply based on home runs and RBIs, because the positional adjustment really hurts the guys who often lead the league in home runs and RBIs. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. I think that's the, one of the most difficult things to get used to, and I know that uh, I, I think it was the Fox. It was like the Fox weekend game was when the the Tigers were playing. Is the, yeah, the Tigers Giants and uh, whoever was announcing. It was not. It was whoever, John Smoltz was on color, but it, I, whoever the um, the play-by-play was for that game said uh, that Victor Martinez would get his vote for MVP, which I think maybe um, summarizes briefly or in brief the 
the sort of differences we're discussing right now. Because he's not, you would never say that he's had a bad season, but right. uh, a question of how valuable. Well, I think this is, you know, one of the things that is difficult about this transition in how we view baseball is the traditional metrics to evaluate hitters are all only based on offense. There's really no defensive metric that is considered traditional besides fielding percentage, which tells you nothing, uh, basically, um, and certainly doesn't adjust for position or or strength of, uh, you know, a team's uh, or a player's talent level on the field. So... If you are one who grew up kind of using the, the normal metrics of the days of batting average home runs, RBIs, even stolen bases, uh, runs scored, like the top, I don't know, 15 metrics for evaluating position players are all based on what you do on offense. And so uh, accounting for any defensive contribution, not even including UZR or DRS, but just um, like even, you know, VORP in its time, which basically uh, added in a positional adjustment and then a replacement level, um, was kind of uh, a little bit of a challenge to people who were just used to, you know, putting the top 15 players in baseball are all first basemen because they have the most home runs. Like, that's clearly not true. No one actually believes it once you stop and logically think, think through it. But those are the metrics that people have relied on for a very long time, and it leads to conclusions like first basemen and designated hitters are ten times as valuable as middle infielders. Right. So now, uh, in the post that you wrote for today, which is, uh, say, in part a response uh, to Passan, and in part um, related, I suppose, an attempt to, uh, to gauge uh, the readership's ideas about this, you, you ask to, to vote on two things, or to uh, t- you have two polls essentially, uh, and one of them uh, concerns this idea of uh, defense's relevance on uh, wins above replacement. I would like defense to have less impact. And and then the other one is I think the batter pitcher split and more uh, should be X and there's a couple of combinations. So let's I want to ask about the first question or the first poll for, uh, first. Uh, I would like defense to have less impact on WAR and so that's one thing. Are there any methods by which defense would have less impact on WAR? Uh, well, I mean, how would we do that? Um, I think the probably the easiest way would just be to constrain the value. So um, you could either regress all of the um, uh, calculations from UZR, DRS, or whatever fielding metric you're using back towards zero by some amount that is kind of arbitrary. You're basically just going to pick one. Uh, you know, 50% maybe is like the, the easy one to just be like, we're just going to cut these in half. Why? We don't know. We, we just want them to be smaller. So we like the range to be half the size it is now. Um, so you just you could literally just chop them in half and say, now Alex Gordon, instead of being a plus 18 defender, is going to be a plus 9 defender. And uh, Matt Kemp, instead of being a negative 25 defender, is a negative 12 defender. And you just uh, basically shrink the range by 50%. Um, there's no real evidence that that's the right number, but you could just choose to do it that way. Or uh, maybe if you wanted to be more... Uh, precise uh, in terms of uh, trying to capture a player's kind of talent level, not necessarily his contributions in that season, but you were trying to do some kind of almost true talent level estimate and assume that he played at his true talent level regularly and with small fluctuations, you could come up with a different mean to regress to back rather than zero. And you could say, okay, maybe we're going to take his average over the last few seasons uh, at that position and we'll regress back towards that. So if you're Andrelton Simmons and you've been, you know, 
plus 30, plus 20, plus 25, and now you're plus 7 or plus 9, whatever he is this season, you would actually regress him up instead of towards 0, you'd regress him towards plus 20. And maybe he would go from plus 9 to plus 14 or something. So you could come up with different means for different players based on their own historical averages. Uh, or you could just use a straight, like, three-year average. If you just wanted, you could be like, well, we're just going to, you know, take last three calendar year war or last, you know, 2012 to 2014 war. And we're going to divide by three and weight it equally, and then we have a larger sample. And um, So there's a lot of different ways you could kind of change the defensive calculation. I think the the issue is that there's no real evidence that any of these ways is better than the way we're doing it now. Right. But a lot of it comes back in that particular instance to um, ideas about how defense, well, simultaneously, how much value defense could have in terms of runs or wins, and then also, you know, if we're assessing 18 runs to Alex Gordon, for example, um, whether we know that that's 18 runs. I mean, how how much do we know about that being 18 runs versus uh, Alex, you know, someone being 18 runs above average on offense? So we know less, for sure. And I think... Uh, this is one of the things that maybe people get a little confused about. So maybe we can try. I tried this in a comment to a, someone who asked, but um, kind of walk through how a, a value of a defensive play is, is created. So say there's a fly ball to the outfield, uh, and the ball, if, if it lands at this you know spot in between left and center field, uh, deep in the gap, like near the warning track. If the ball lands, we are almost 100% certain it's going to be a double. Like besides, like a you know Jesus Montero or something, every player is going to get to second base on this ball if it's not caught. So we have the estimated run value of a double, which, which is approximately 0.7 runs, 0.75 runs, uh, depending on the run environment and the park and all that. That's around there. Uh, if if the ball is caught, then that's an out, which is negative uh, 0.3 runs or so. Um, so you basically have a swing of if the ball is caught to the ball is not caught is over a run or, or very close to a run, a full run of value, uh, depending on the outcome of the play. So if it is estimated to be kind of a rare play, most most players wouldn't make this play, uh, then the, the the fielder is going to get almost all of the credit for that full run save, maybe 9, 9.95 runs, 0.9, 0.85, something very close to a full run just for making that one play. Um, but the... The misunderstanding, or I guess the the lack of clarity, is in estimating that percentage. That's where we're really not sure. We're not. It's not the run value we're not sure about. We're we're pretty good on run values. It's guessing the probability of someone else making that play given the trajectory and the angle and how far he had to run. Um, and I think that's where we have a lot of uncertainty. We don't actually know uh, whether it's a 10% play or a 20% play or a 30% play. We're pretty sure it's not an 80% play, but within the realm of unlikeliness, we don't know how unlikely it was. Uh, and I think that's where you could get into saying, okay, right now we have these current current estimates that give significant value to a defensive player by saying this was a very hard ball to catch. If we wanted to, we could pull all of those numbers back and say we're not going to have plays that are 95% uh, unlikely to be caught. We're going to say if a, if a player caught it, we're going to assume that this was maybe a more an easier ball to catch than we would have thought otherwise. And so instead of 95% it was going to fall, maybe it's only 75% it was going to fall, and that will reduce the run value for every single play. And over the season it would um, significantly reduce the runs that were credited to a fielder. And uh, at the same time you would do that, you'd say, okay, well, since the pitcher only gave up a, a ball in play that was you know, 75% likely to go for a hit instead of 95% likely, we're going to move some of the value from the fielder to the pitcher. 
Right. And I remember this is this happened a while ago. I, whenever we introduced or added to the leaderboards um, the version of war that is calculated not by uh, fielding and a pitching FIP, uh, but rather by runs allowed per nine innings, um, that was one of the conversations we had, right? Because uh, um, internally we were saying, well, does that do we do a 50-50 split? Um and that was, you know, that was, I know, one of the things you were dealing with. But, it, you know, I think at the end of the day, you say, well, that's one way to do it, but it's also arbitrary. So you just give people both figures and say, um, you know, whatever your biases are, there you go. Those, that's for you. Yeah, I mean, I think this is the this is basically the issue, is that we know that, that FIP-based pitching war is wrong. We know runs allowed-based pitching war is wrong. We know baseball references way of trying to measure it based on – defensive run saved and averaging it across an entire pitching staff is wrong. All of the pitching war methods out there are wrong. There is some correct number, and it's different for every pitcher, and it's different for every park, and it's different for every defense, uh, that the the kind of split between FIP and war uh, is maybe somewhere 50-50, 60 40, 70-30, 80-20. I don't know. It's somewhere in there. Um, I can't see it being less than 50-50, and I can't see it being more than, you know, maybe 85-15, even in the most extreme example. Um, but it's kind of like any number you wanted to pick from that range would be arbitrary. There's no uh, data out there uh, that we currently have access to. It might exist at the team level or, you know, someone with hit effects data. Um, it might be easier to come up with some number using, you know, speed of ball off bat that we don't have. But... Uh, Given the current metrics, we don't know what the split is. And so we could do a 50-50 war. We put one on the war leaderboards for people who, like Tom Tango, who like to kind of just cut the difference between the two and say, I don't really care about being precise. I'm just taking an estimate. I don't care about the, you know, tenths of a run I might be off. But, you know, there's just as much evidence for a 75-25 split as there is for a 50-50 split. And since we don't have the evidence, and I think that's one of the things I was trying to iterate in the post today, is rather than just arbitrarily picking a number that we feel makes more sense, we don't really want to implement changes until we feel like we can support them with data. Right. Uh, and then with, with, with regard to this uh, second poll, you're asking um, readers to, to consider the batter-pitcher split in war. Yeah. And this is, like as I said, this is the sort of second element about which you're, you're asking. And what, is the, uh, what does this mean? So, you know, as I noted in the post, we currently give out a 1,000 war per year. That was the number decided upon when we unified replacement level with baseball reference last year. Uh, we used to give out closer to 1,200, and baseball reference was closer to 900. We met in the middle. Uh, so now we both have uh, 1,000 war per 2,430 games, um, and that kind of is the scale of, of wins above replacement. Because we think that hitters are all of offense, which I think is hard to argue, they get at least 50% of those because they produce all of the run scoring. Mm -hmm. But pitchers do not produce all of the run prevention. We know that fielders have some impact on run prevention, so they can't get 50% of, of the run. It's not a 50-50 split because pitchers are not 100% of the run prevention in half. So uh, the 57-43 split, I think, was uh, the best estimate that we could come up with, and I think Tom Tango and others have... Uh, done similar research and have also come up with 57-43, 58-42 splits in that range uh, that suggest basically that fielding is something like 15% of run prevention, uh, which is, I think, sounds about right. I mean, you know, I'm not a huge fan of the passes the smell test, but even historically, before wins above replacement, I think Bill James 20, 30 years ago was saying that he thought fielding was somewhere between 10 and 28% of, of run prevention. 
Uh, I don't think it's a ludicrous number that can't be defended. Uh, oh, because you're giving, you know, 14% of 50% to position players, they also get 7% of total war. And so that's where the 57-43 split comes mm. from. What do you think people are going to say, Cameron? Uh, what do I think they're going to say about what? I don't know. What do you think they're going to say in these polls? Uh, well, I've already seen the results. So yeah. that would be, I, you were asking someone who knows the spoiler answer. Oh, yeah. Was it, uh, I mean, did it confirm your suspicions? No, actually, so the, the batter pitcher split, I didn't have a, I didn't know what people were going to guess. Uh, they have overwhelmingly at this point, uh, as of an hour after the post went up, uh, gone with a 57-43 split that maintains the status quo, which I think, uh, you know, is the number that I would pick as well. It's the one that there is some evidence for. Okay. Um, the, the rest of them are all kind of arbitrary. Uh, there might, they might be right, but I have not seen data that says, 54-46 is the right number, or 52-48. Uh, but I have seen no evidence that 57-43 is, or 58-42. One of, the, one of those in that range is is the right split. Uh, on the, you know, do they want defense to be a smaller uh, impact and more, I expected the yes votes to actually be higher. I think, you know, we hear from a, a large contingency of people who don't like the fact that, you know, uh, Andrelton Simmons would rate as a six-win player when he's been a below-average hitter or, you know, Juan Lagares is, uh, you know, started the year on the bench is, uh, you know, rates as one of the best center fielders in baseball. Uh, they don't like these conclusions. So we hear from people a lot and, you know, Passon, is a, you know, has a loud voice and, and he, um, echoed the critiques of many. So I was thinking that the proportion of people who wanted defense to be regressed or reduced or minimized and more would be higher and at, at the point of, uh, the last time I looked, it was one in four said yes. Not, so, I, do you think it's because the people who have been, who are so disgusted by the way that we, uh, we include defense in war that they have vowed never to return to the site again? It's possible. I mean, there's certainly a selection bias at play where I'm polling Fangraphs readers, which means these are people who are likely to come to the site because they find value in what we say. If I polled major league managers, the number might be very different or if I pulled major league players. I mean, you know, the, there's obviously a huge selection bias issue, but I thought even within our own readership uh, and people who are just, you know, getting linked to the piece on Twitter or whatever, I figured the number would be higher of people who don't like the defensive component being as large as it is. I was a little surprised that 50% said they were just fine with it, 25% said they didn't know, and 25% said they wanted to change. Certainly there's no consensus, um, but, you know, I, I think I was a little maybe – Pleasantly surprised by how few people uh, think that it is demonstrably wrong. Uh, okay, a couple of questions. Well, we we won't go uh, as long as. Plus, I got you know we got four podcasts this week. Do you know that? That's quite a few. We got you. We have uh, David Temple. Maybe tomorrow or Thursday. I don't, oh, maybe. So he's, he's doing his own podcast and your podcast. Well, he's he's going to talk about TechGraphs.com. Right. Yeah. That's but he has his own podcast, right? Yeah, but that's he. This is a um, this would be blatantly. Blatantly promotional, this one. Okay, all right. Yeah. So we're do, doing sponsored content. Yeah, uh, but, but at least it's us. It's so our, we're sponsoring oh, our own content. We're yeah. doing that, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then uh, you're going to talk with Jeff Passon on Wednesday. Right. And then we have uh, Kyle and McDaniel, I think, probably Thursday. Uh, so you're going to end the week on a down note. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I do want to ask you a couple questions with regard to uh, they're both loosely related in that they they both concern awards voting. Um, you uh, wrote uh, recently. Well, we we've discussed before. We wrote recently about the difficulties of voting for manager of the year, 
And your conclusion, if I'm not mistaken, was um, but previously it was mostly this. Uh, in your post it was this. And I'm curious to see if it still is this a couple of days later or whatever. Uh, you don't know what you're going to do. Yeah, that's, that is my conclusion. And, you know, this weekend I spent time talking with people who work in baseball and, uh, you know, they have a manager and they're trying to answer this own question themselves is how good is our manager and how, how good a job has he done this year? And I think, uh, I think the answer for a lot of people is I don't know. And like, you know, I think one of the interesting things that came out of the conversation was, uh, you know, the current method of voting is generally going to be biased towards people who had a lot of things go right, right? Like if you had a winning season, you probably in general stayed healthier than if you didn't. And you probably had some players overachieve, which may, maybe you're responsible for, maybe you're not, not, we don't know. Uh, but maybe the measure of a manager is most tested when there's adversity. Like I don't think the Ron Washington did an amazing job managing the Rangers this year. But did anyone have a harder task? Like he lost almost his entire roster. <laughs> uh, he he actually had to manage, whereas uh, you know the manager of a guy whose team stayed entirely healthy and he rolled out the same lineup from spring training and he didn't have to you know find replacements for his stars when they went down. How much did he actually have to do on his way to winning 95 games? Maybe the manager of the year should win 70 games every year because he's the guy who is pressed into trying to make. Chicken salad out of chicken, you know, the answer to that. Yeah. So um, we, we, one, one interesting thing is how it relates to the this question of fielding, right, is the, I, I think one of the general assumptions um, that affects how people feel about fielding and the way it's um, measured in terms of runs and wins is that how can I uh, – is, is this idea of how can a guy have one uh, one good fielding year and then have a bad fielding year the next year? We regard fielding. We say, "Oh, this must be more of a true talent that, um, you know, that manifests itself in a pretty similar way season to season." Right. Um, that's not necessarily the case because I think, as you've pointed out before, the difference between a an above-average fielder and below-average one at the same position it comes down, you know, because most of the plays are routine. They're both going to get, uh, you know, what seventy-five, eighty-five percent of the balls. Right. Um, and it comes down to a a pretty small number of chances that will inform those runs. And that is, those are the ones essentially at which we're looking. It, I, I, I admit that I'm certainly guilty thinking about this in terms of manager of the year. If you, if a guy is good one season and then he's the same guy the next year. Right. And this is, even, this is, we're talking essentially about his like personality, you know, to yeah. some degree. Uh, did right. his personality change from year right. one to two? And right. if not, is he just the manager of the year until he retires? Yeah, I mean, I think this is kind of like a fun thought experiment. Is like we generally in life do not think that there are huge fluctuations in people's leadership skills, right? Like as a kid, you know, you're hearing all the time, like, oh, this so-and-so is a born natural leader, right? Like this guy is a leader of men. And we don't think that that fluctuates, that he like becomes a, a mouse and learns how to become a follower and – you know, like, uh, I think we just generally believe this is an innate thing that people are born with, and it can certainly be developed, but there are some people who are natural leaders and some people who aren't. Uh, and so, right, if you have, you know, Joe Torrey or someone who I think I used as the example in the post on Friday, he won two of three manager awards when he was with the Yankees in 96 and 98. Uh, and then from 99 to 2006, he never finished higher than third despite the fact that his team averaged like 97 wins a year and won their division every single year, uh, eight consecutive years, 
never finished even in the top two in the American League in manager of the year voting. So in a twice in a three year span, Joe Torre was the best manager in baseball. And then he got so good that we just wanted to stop awarding him for it, uh, which doesn't make any sense at all. Right. Yeah. Once you, right. I think you made the point there. I mean, uh, similarly, once, it, once it's clear, once it seems clear that the team is good, yeah. the manager actually suffers for it. Right. And I think even that the manager is good, like Joe Madden is probably a good example of this, right? Like, uh, Joe Madden has won the manager of the year award once or twice, maybe at least once. Uh, and he has done a lot with a little and, you know, one with small market teams. And he is not going to be considered at all in manager of the year voting this year. Uh, primarily because Evan Longoria didn't hit for power and some of his pitchers got hurt. Do we think Joe Madden is a worse manager this year than he was in the past few years when he received lots of manager of the year credit and when he won the award because Evan Longoria had a bad year and Matt Moore blew out his elbow? Like, that seems like a strange conclusion to draw, but that's, the, that's what the award is going to do. Right, and also the Baltimore Orioles won a surprising number of games. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know that that would keep Madden from winning. Like if, you know, you don't necessarily have to win your division. Like you can finish second and still win the manager right. of the year award as long as you have a decent season. The Rays have underperformed mostly because of Longoria's lack of power and a few guys underperforming. You know, Escobar had a bad year. Uh, and maybe, maybe these are Joe Madden's fault, but I don't <laughs> think we know that, right? Like, uh, you know, Escobar has played his way out of every other city he's ever been in and Tampa Bay is the first place he's ever not been a problem and he's succeeded and, uh, you know, the, the Rays have seemingly found a way to take a, a guy who was a little bit of a malcontent and turn him into a productive player. Now we think Jeddah Madden suddenly lost the ability to do that. Another awards question. Okay. Uh, at one point, it seemed as though Felix Hernandez was indisputably going to win the American League Cy Young Award. Yeah, uh, correct. I mean, so yeah, right? Indisputably, he, he, he not indisputably, to, but he was a strong favorite. Right. It, he would. I would say he's a less strong of a favorite at the moment. Does that seem he fair? He gave up like what six six home runs in his last two starts. That that is uh, that will hurt you. Yeah, yeah. He did a lot of giving up home runs. <laughs> yeah. And do you know who actually? Uh, and we're talking just decimal points here. But do you know actually who has the highest WAR among pitchers in the? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna guess it's Corey Kluber. <laughs> it is Corey Kluber. I'm just checking it right now. I didn't know. Yeah, what a, what a shock! I didn't you, know. Uh, I didn't know. You, I just, you I just were noticed up that. a stat that Corey Kluber has to lead the league in. What, yeah. a, what a coincidence! That's pretty good. All right, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, pretty good. Corey uh, Kluber, good season. Good season, yeah. And that's uh, yeah. and actually, I don't know. Uh, you probably didn't see. I just put up a uh, an Instagram's post. Do you know that the Cleveland rotation as a whole um, over the past month? Would essentially has a higher uh, rate of WAR per inning than uh, than Felix Hernandez does the yeah, entire I mean, season. I think the the emergence or uh, a breakout or whatever we're going to call this of Carlos Carrasco has been criminally underreported, including by us. Yeah. Uh, I think at this point, he's at 100 innings for the season. He has a an ERA minus FIP minus an XFIP minus all in the 70s. Like this is not uh you know oh he's just had some good homer to fly ball luck or he's stranded a bunch of runners. Or he's got a, you know, a high strikeout rate, but he's still walking guys. This is like a hundred innings of, you know, uh, Cy Young quality pitching from Carlos Carrasco, and it feels like no one noticed. Yeah, yeah, he's gotten, uh, he, he's gotten very good. Uh, and really the whole rotation, I mean, TJ House is a valuable member of the rotation. Yeah. Who knew? Uh, Who knew about that, TJ House? Yeah. Uh, yes, that is, that is very peculiar. Um, I think, and they're getting paid, the guys, they're getting paid four million dollars total. 
Yeah, com- combined. Combined, yes, combined, yeah. and they were worth over. They were worth uh, four and a half wins during during the last month. Yeah, I think uh, the Indians are kind of a fascinating team, and I think you know tying back into the original question, right? Like the Indians are probably a better offensive team than the Royals, and I think if you look at you know kind of especially recent performance, but even all season long, their pitching staff has been fairly good, and they are what like a. 10 games behind the Royals in the Central or something. Right. If you think that defense does not matter, explain the American League Central. Uh, yes. Uh, right. Yeah, that's the Kansas City Royals are good at defense. Yeah, right. The Royals are basically, you know, in contention to win their division because of defense. And yet we are still wondering whether defense actually matters. Yeah. All right. Well, it's let's stop. Let's this, stop. Is, this is a year, weird year to be considering the question. I'll just leave it at that. Let's stop wondering about that, and we'll also stop the podcast. Okay. How's that sound? That sounds good. Okay. Uh, but I want to thank you. On behalf of all of our listeners, every last one of them, Dave, I want to thank you for appearing on this edition of Fangraphs Audio. Uh, you're welcome, and even to those who did not want Carson to thank me for them. Yeah. Uh, that is uh, Dave Cameron, managing editor of Fangraphs. I'm Carson Sestouli. This has been Fangraphs Audio. Mm-hmm.